Today, I'm sharing with you guys a passage of scripture which is so juicy, so interesting, so hotly, uh, um, I won't say debated, but, but people always look to this text and go like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, 1 Thessalonians 4, what is your view on it? What do you mean? What, what, what does it mean? What, tell me what you think, right? So everyone's probably getting extra excited about this because this passage talks about the end times. And, and I know many of you have signed up for the Revelation series. You have bought the book and you're every weekend and every midweek, you're in end times things. You're in eschatology, non-stop, all day all night. So if that is you, today's sermon is going to touch on a bit of that. But first, I'm going to read for you the text. We're going to pray and then I'm going to start preaching. Okay. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read to you from the ESV translation, verse 13 to the end of the chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will, raise, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord together. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Father, we just want to thank you and exalt you and say, Lord Jesus, as we get into scripture, I pray that you will encourage us. Even as Paul ends this chapter by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father, we pray that, that you will encourage us with these words. I pray that this last section of 1 Thessalonians 4 will be, will be something that gives us courage. It will give us fortitude to keep on going for the days ahead. It will help us to see not with, not with earthly eyes, but with supernatural prophetic eyes. It will help us to look beyond the flesh, but into the spirit and into forever with you. Oh Lord Jesus, we just want to come and submit before you our hearts our thoughts, our mind, our actions, our lives, our will, our decisions, everything belongs to King Jesus. So Father, may you disciple us today. May you shape our thinking today. May you shape our hearts today. We are in your hands. Lord, we know you will handle with care. So Lord, teach us, help us, 
draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, all of God's people say, Amen. All right, Amen. Now you just heard this the, the reading from 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 and I'm going to share with you, okay, that I'm going to share with you two main points. But I know having heard this last section, what, what we're going to be caught up in the air, we're going to meet Jesus in the clouds and everybody's probably quite excited and they're, they're, you probably want to think like, oh, Pastor Fergus, can you get to that part first, right? And you're probably thinking like, like, oh, I don't think I can pay attention to everything else until we settle this issue of rapture. Now, I just want to lay it out there. The rapture section of this text is not the main point. I will get to it. And I promise you, I will get to it. I'm not even going to sidestep it. I'm going to go right through it and show you the different thinkings behind it. But not yet. Okay, church? Not yet. First, I want to share with you the main point, the main reason why Paul wrote these words to the believers in Thessalonica and why they needed to hear this and how it is so apt for us to be hearing these words now. So, how shall we go forward? Two main points. The first one is this, that there is always joy in Christian death for those who die. And the second point is this, there is always hope in Christian death for those who remain alive. Okay, one more time. I'm just going to share with you these two points. I hope you hear it. There is always joy in Christian death for those who die. That's the first point. And the second point is very similar. There is always hope in Christian death for those who remain alive. And at the very end, I'll talk about rapture. But first, I want to lay a few things down. We come from a Chinese, many of us come from a Chinese background. I grew up in a Hokkien Teochew family. And every time somebody says something about death, some older person will say, Choi, don't talk about death. Don't talk about, don't, don't, don't say this word. Don't say this thing. Choi, bad luck, you know? And I have seen, now, hey, did you grow up with that? Did you grow up with that? If you did, right? <laughs> um, maybe you can say it in the Zoom chat, like, oh yeah, I grew up with that too, right? And, and I want to say this. I have seen this superstition transport itself from Chinese culture into church culture. And I've had people say to me, when I talk about death, someone might say to me, oi, Fathers, don't talk about this. Don't speak death. I'm like, bro, I'm not speaking death. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the realities of death. Like, no, don't speak death because life and death in the power of the tongue. You know, you shouldn't. I'm like, no, bro, that's not how that, that Bible verse works. That's not what it, it means to say. And so I want us to be very self-aware today because today's sermon is a lot about, it's all about Christians dying as opposed to people who die without hope. And so, my friends, I want to make sure that in our community of faith that we do not transport the superstitions of our former cultures into our Christian culture. Let's not transport that superstition. There is no fear about talking about death. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, every fear of death, every curse of death has already been broken. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your boast, right? 
right? So how can we with one breath say death, where is your sting? And another moment, so scared of the word death. Cannot, cannot, because that's not the Christian way, okay? So the, what, so what is the Christian way? The Christian way is that we can stare death into the eye and say, you have no hold over me because my Jesus died and after three days, he rose again to death and he rose again from death into everlasting life. And because I died with him, I rise with him. And today I have no fear of death, though I don't speak death over anything. I never, why would we speak death? But guess what? We can engage with the realities of our mortal lives and not feel superstitious, not feel bad luck, not feel afraid. And I really wanted to get that out so that we can move on into this sermon without feeling like it's a weird funeral sermon on a normal Sunday, a Saturday evening, right? It's not. This should be how we are every day. So with that, I'm going to remind us all, right, um, that that the Bible in First Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, uh, four, right, the key verse in this text says, okay, that we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no. Hope. This first point that I want to share with you is that there is always joy in Christian death for the one who dies. And why? Why is there, why is there joy? Like, how can there be joy? How can there be joy in death? Like, are you crazy? Actually, why are Christians like that? Why, why, why do Christians have such a different attitude towards death? It's because in Christ we die, in Christ we are resurrected, and we have not the same attitudes about death and dying that the rest of the world who do not have Christ have. So my friends, here's how it here's how it goes. The Bible here in 1 Thessalonians say that we grieve but not as others do. So I want to be really sober about issues of death and dying. We are going to grieve. And I've grieved death of close loved ones in my life before. I know many of you also have. And today, we are staring at a COVID situation in our country that is so rampant, so ravaging, that, I'm, that I won't be surprised that quite a few of you have already had to grieve the loss of someone you know. Maybe it was someone you sort of knew. Maybe it was even someone you were close to. And if you have been going through that journey, we want to grieve together with you. And I want to say to you that we are grieving with you together as a church family, but there is joy for them, the Christian who has passed on. And there is hope for you who remains. And that is why I want to share with you that in Jesus Christ, what we are going to see here, how is it? that there is joy, it's because we have a hope that no one else does. And what is this hope? This hope is that even though we grieve, and the grief is real, and I've heard it described somewhere before, that the grief of losing someone is like having an amputation in your body. It's like you lose a part of yourself. And I can tell you, it is true. It is true. It has felt like that for me. 
And maybe you know better than I how it feels like. Or maybe you're in a season where you're fighting with, with, with life and death. You're praying for someone. Or maybe you yourself have had a few scares with COVID already and you know what it tastes like. I want to encourage you not to fear death. Now, you know, there is a fate worse than death. You know, I, I, I know someone who since March last year that they've pretty much gone into their own self-isolation lockdown for the last 16 months. They've been locked in their house. They work from home, uh, but everything else is online and they've not stepped foot out of their house even once. Like they go to the gate and then they come back to receive things, right? And that's it, right? Because the number one fear is to die alone on a hospital bed. And can I be honest? And we can all be honest about this. Nobody wants to die alone on a hospital bed. But my friends, there is a fate worse than dying alone because of COVID, because no one else can come and see you. There is a fate far worse than that. And what is that fate that is so far worse than even dying of COVID? It is to walk in a manner unworthy of our calling. It is to walk in a manner that misses the mark on the great things God has called for us. Come my friends, you were just here two weeks ago. Remember, Elder Kuntat was sharing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and he shared about how important it was for us to walk in a manner worthy of God. So my friends, if Paul, the Apostle Paul is right that in this verse that he says that we are called to grieve but not as others do who have no hope, it means that when we grieve, we grieve with hope. There is hope in our grieving. Why? Because the hope is anchored in this. There is joy for the one who has passed away. There is joy in the deceased. How do I know? How do I know this? Philippians chapter 1. Let me read to you this text from Philippians 1 verse 20 uh, to 24. Paul writes this, With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. So you can see there is, a, there is a tension between the two, right? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does that mean? To live is Christ, to die is gain. You've heard this before. Let's hear how Paul explains it. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Meaning if I continue living, I didn't die, I can work for the Lord. It means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Yes, there is to live, which is for Christ, there is to die, which he calls. It's a gain, right? And he cannot choose. I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Wow. Where did that come from? Paul, where did that come from? Just so you know, you're read it, reading it correctly. Philippians 1 verse 23, I am hard-pressed between life and death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is much better. 
Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So my friends, what does this really mean? That to die is better. To die is better because we become unshackled from this body that holds us back, this life of sin, the limitations of what we are experiencing. For us, to die is gain because we go to Jesus without cancer. We go to Jesus without hypertension. We go to Jesus without stroke. We go to Jesus without lower lumbar pain. We go to Jesus without... with. with, with without infected lungs. We go to Jesus with renewed bodies. Why? Because the dead will rise. Because the dead will rise. My friends, do we only use this verse to live is Christ, to die is gain? Do we only say these things at funerals? Do you only hear it in funeral sermons and not on Sunday? On Sunday, must stay alive, must stay alive, must stay alive. And then a funeral service, then you say, oh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why? Why? Cannot be, right? Cannot be that no choice already, pass away already. That's why we, okay, law, have to find comfort. So we say, to live is Christ, to die is gain, law. But every other day, we live as if the only way to stay alive is to stay alive. The only gain is to stay alive. No, no, that is not the Christian way. That is not the Christian attitude towards death and dying. It isn't. No matter how hard you try to hang on to this mortal coil, all this shall pass. But when all this passes, we shall pass into a better future and be inheritors of a better resurrected body than what we have now. And that is joy. That's why Paul says, when I die, it's better. I'm going to enjoy death better because in my death, I get propelled into everlasting life with my Savior. And that is what he means when he says it is far better. So my friends, I know that every time we grieve for our Christian loved ones who pass away, we grieve because we miss them. And I have a few people I, I still do miss very dearly when I think about it and when I think about them. But I can tell you, there is joy for them. And there is joy for me when the day my time comes that I can say, you know, it's just recently, I was just talking to my wife, Athalia, and I was just telling her that, you know, with COVID, and I can, I can see people fighting for their lives. And I just, it just hit me, right? It just made me think um, that actually, I'm kind of afraid of this whole thing. But I'm not afraid of death in itself. I was just telling my wife that I'm, I, I can tell you what I'm afraid of. I, I, I really don't want to separate from you and from the three kids, right? I really don't want that, right? And that would, that, I'm, I'm scared of that, or of how, how much I would miss you or how much I would miss the kids. That I, I'm scared of the process of death. Maybe, right? Maybe. Let's be, let's be real. Uh, um, I, I do think about that. But, but the actual dying, it's okay. You know what? You know what the Bible promises us about the actual pro the actual dying? The actual dying means that you go back to the Father. There will be everlasting joy. You will be joined together with the saints, all the saints who have died. One day, all of us, our bodies will be resurrected. You saw it right there. The, the dead will rise first. You saw it there in 1 Thessalonians 4. And you know what that means for me? 
Oh my word, that means that I'm going to see all of my Christian heroes who have gone in the years before me. I get to see, I get to meet Hudson Southwell. And I get to meet Frank Davidson and Carrie Tolley, the three missionaries who started SIB in the, in the jungles of Borneo. I get to meet Pa Agong Bangau, who led the Bakalalan revival. Wow, I get to meet Kevin Tan. And I get to meet uh, uh, Uncle Clifford. And I get to meet uh, C.S. Lewis and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's going to be A-OK. It's going to be good when we go. Why? Because we don't grieve as others do who have no hope. We have a hope. I'm holding out for meeting all of these people, you know, in the time I will have one day when I move along. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking not forward, but I'm looking ahead with hope. I'm looking ahead with hope. Why? Because to live is Christ. To die is far better. Now, my friends, it says that the dead shall rise. We'll be given new bodies. We will be, we will be totally, totally renewed. And all of this shall pass. And so I really want to lead us now from the first point that there is always joy in Christian death for those who die. But what about the rest of us who stay living? Like I shared with you, we grieve. Yes, of course we grieve. It's like an amputation. It's heart. But there is hope in Christian death for those who remain. And I, and I want to show you what I see in First Thessalonians 4 that gives me hope. For me, if I have to stay around and I've seen one or two people struggle, fight on the edge, knife edge of living and dying, and we've been praying for them, we've been texting them, getting into Zoom call, lifting up their spirits, showing them that in death or in life, we love Jesus, we hang on to the faith. Like, I'm not telling these guys, you're not going to die. I'm telling them, you're not going to die. But even if you do, there is no death. There is no death that can kill you. There, and you know what, my friends? That's not speaking death. That's speaking faith. That's speaking life. That's speaking eternal life. And sometimes... Actually, all of the times, the path to eternal life means that you've got to cross mortal death first. And that's not a bad thing. We must, we must be disciple out of all superstitions into a Christ-oriented view of death that leads to everlasting life. If you don't pass, if you don't pass from this model coil, you don't get to everlasting with Jesus. And so, my friends, here we are. Here we are, standing and watching our friends, our loved ones, on the edge, knife edge of life and death. And if we lose them, we will grieve. But I want to share with you one thing, my friends. You know what's going to happen on the day when Jesus Christ returns? He's going to come back. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells me that when he comes back, there's going to be a cry of Jesus' command. So Jesus himself is going to speak. That's the first sound from his second coming. He's going to cry out a command. And then you're going to hear the voice of his archangel. And after that, you're going to hear the blaring of the trumpets of God. 
You're going to hear all these sounds come together. It's going to rise. I can imagine if I apply some of your sanctified imagination, it's going to be a, a crescendo of triumph, of joy, of hope, of celebration of the second coming of Jesus. The dead will be rising and there'll be resurrection happening all around us. And John Piper calls it the most noisy day in all of human history. And I think that might just be true because I think there's going to be such a beautiful rousing sound that's going to be, be filling the whole earth and maybe that's the day where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Who knows, right? But I believe that on that day, it's going to be so magnificent, it's going to be so powerful, it's going to be so wonderful and you know what? The dead will rise First, those whom we've left uh, had to send off into, into forever with Jesus, they will rise first with their resurrected bodies. No more stroke, no more COVID, no more cancer, right? They're going to rise with their resurrected bodies. And for any of us who happens to still be hanging around, that's if it comes well within our lifetime, right? Who knows? Like a thief in the night, right? That's next week. He's going to come like a thief in the night, okay? So let's not speculate. He's going to come like a thief in the night, okay? But we remain watchful. Let me not get ahead of myself. For those of us, if we happen to be alive, he's, we are going to be, the, the, the dead who rise are going to join with us, right? And then together, we are going to rise up. We're going to rise up and we're going to meet with Jesus as he comes for his second coming. My friends, is that not glorious? Is that not a hope to look forward to? And you know what? Because you know that it's going to be so beautiful, so wonderful, and that death has no hold on you, that for those of you who have sent off loved ones, that you've seen them die and enter into forever joy with Jesus, that the rest of us, though we grieve their loss, we can say, you know what? There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. I'm going to go and go to the edge of the most dangerous thing I can do for Jesus, knowing full well with 100% certainty that death has no more bite. And I can go and it's not a bravado kind of hope. It's not a gangho-ism kind of hope. It's not. It's the assurance and the surety and the confidence in our Lord that those who die go to a far better place and those who remain alive have a hope that they can restore the calling, the high calling that we have for our lives. Not to live in timidity, not to live in fear, not to dig an underground bunker and try to hide from COVID, not to live like some of the people I know who have not set foot out of their house or out of their gate for the last 16 months. No, like I said, there is a life and a faith far worse than dying alone in a hospital bed. That is to miss on your spiritual calling and to live and waste your life. That's far worse. That's far. I'd rather die alone on a hospital bed having lived my fullest life and I know I will not be alone. I will have my Christ with me. Far better, far better than living a safe life in your underground bunker and miss your high calling. My friends, 
What is this high calling that we can live for, that we can live for knowing that death has no sting? I want to show you. I want to show you. And I think, by the way, probably one of the most underrated passages of the Bible, of the New Testament, because I love it so much and I so seldom hear it being read or being, or, or, or being quoted, right? But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Oh my gosh! This is the apostle who has gone to the edge of the most dangerous thing he can do for the kingdom, knowing that death has no sting on him. And I love this. So inspiring. Oh my gosh. But, but it's not just the suffering. Listen to this, right? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Wow. Friends, you want to live that kind of life? I know I do. I know I do. I know I want to live the kind of life where I am maxing out my life for the purposes and the calling that God has for me. And what God has called for me might look a bit different from what God has called for you. But if you and I are both living to the max of God's high calling, we shall fulfill what He called us in First Thessalonians 2 to walk in a manner worthy of our God. And that is a great way to live. That's what it looks like to live for Christ. And after you live a life like that, to die would be so much gain. It would be so sweet. It would be so sweet a way to finish our race on earth. Amen. So my friends, two points, main points. Number one, there is always joy in Christian death for the ones who die. Number two, there is always hope in Christian death for those who remain alive. And now I want to go into this whole thing about rapture. This whole thing about rapture. I better have my Bible on, on hand, right? Um, now, I know that many of you are very excited because we've been in a Revelation series. I know many of you are in the series every Saturday morning or some of you on Wednesday nights. I know many of you have bought the book and you're reading it. And some of you have read chapter 4. So you know Pastor Chiu's views on this. I'm going to get to it in a moment. But what is rapture? Rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. What it means is to be snatched up or to be snatched away. Right? Now, this word rapture itself does not belong 
It's not found in the Bible, okay? The idea is claimed to be found in the Bible, but but the word itself, rapture, doesn't appear in the Bible. Uh, but the word in, in Greek that is used in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 is harpazo. And harpazo just means to be snatched up. Two other places where harpazo is used. You remember when the evangelist Philip uh, meets the, the Ethiopian eunuch on, 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 this, on this road, right? And then after he has met him, he, they read Isaiah together, he explains it, he gets baptized, and then harpazo. The, 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 Philip is harpazo out of that place, but brought to another place. Okay, so he's brought to another. So he's, he doesn't go up to heaven. He's brought harpazo. In that case, he's brought to another place. Now, another occasion is, I believe it is in uh, one of the Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken, Paul says that he was harpazo to the third heaven. Okay, and that, he also didn't end up in heaven forever, right? We, all, we, we know that after that, he came out of that vision and he was back on earth and he continued his ministry. So in those two cases, at least, harpazo does not mean raptured into heaven forever. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I'm not going to preach about rapture. I'm not going to preach about rapture. I'm going to preach and share with you guys how we can navigate around and with fellow Christians who do not share the same views on rapture as we do. And maybe some of you are thinking, what do you mean don't share the same views? Isn't there only one view on rapture that there is rapture? And the answer is, no, there isn't just one view. And you're like, huh? You mean that there are some people who don't believe that there is rapture? Yes. And you're like, what? What's wrong with these people? Isn't it clear in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we we're going to get caught up into the air, you know, and we'll be forever with Jesus, you know? And so let me help you out because I think it's so important uh, uh, that we go through this gently, lovingly, step by step, okay? Because I want to show you this. Now, the text... Uh, 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 this text is often used uh, to, to, to explain rapture, right? That they were caught up, right? Another text that's often being used for this to explain rapture is Matthew 24. Two people working in the field, one will be taken. Today's not the day for Matthew 24, but you can go back and read it for yourself. I encourage you to, right? Now, if you've been following um, the Revelation series, you will know Pastor Chu's view on it. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you his view straight up. Pastor Chu holds to the view of a mid-tribulation, pre-wrath rapture, followed by literal 1,000 years of Jesus reigning on earth with the saints. Okay, so that's Pastor Chu's view. And if you have the book, you can go to chapter 4 and look at Pastor Chu's workings. Okay, now I'm going to get back into this on the workings later. It's so important that Pastor Chu shows you his workings because he's role modeling for you, but you need to be able to do for yourselves when you get into this text. Okay, now a little bit more on that later. But there are other people who hold to different views. Some people hold on to a pre-tribulation uh, uh, um, uh, rapture, which means that the Christians are raptured before the period of tribulation, followed by a thousand years of Jesus reigning, right? And Pastor Chiu's view is that the Christians will be raptured mid-tribulation, pre-wrath, right? So we'll, or the Christians will suffer tribulation, not the very fullness of it, which is the wrath of God, and then to be captured up, right? Now, uh, 
there are other people. So I don't want you to be naive. I don't want you to be uninformed. It's important that we know what the whole body of Christ is saying about this. Okay, now there are Christians who don't hold to this view. There are Christians who don't even hold to the idea that rapture is going to happen. Okay, now, so a few realities about this doctrine of rapture. It is, in the larger scheme of things, a fairly young or new doctrine. It was really started something that started a, a view that started to gain ground in the 1830s. And what that means is that the early church fathers, the early apostolic church fathers, did not hold to this view. Neither did the medieval church, neither did the Protestant reformers of Luther, Calvin, and such, right? So a lot of human of church history went by with people not believing in or not holding to the view of the rapture. Okay, now today the view of a rapture is very widely held in churches like ours, in evangelical Protestant churches. But even then, in the larger scheme of all the Christian denominations out there in this world, it is still a minority view. I didn't want you to not know this because it helps you. It helps you when you go out of your door and you meet other Christian friends and you tell them about the Revelation series and they have a different view from you that we know how to navigate those conversations, okay? So, how do all these other people view 1 Thessalonians 4? Well, actually, you'll be surprised. There is a lot of commonalities. So, where, where are the commonalities? We all agree that the dead will rise, they will, they will rise first, right? Because the, we will not those, those who are alive will not precede those who have died. So the dead will rise first. The dead will join with the, those who are living and everybody will be caught up to the clouds to meet with the second coming of Jesus. Pretty much, we all agree on this, right? Now, here is where uh, the difference starts to show. Some people who believe in the rapture believe that when that when the dead and living are caught up in the clouds, they continue going up into heaven and they stay there. And that's why it's called rapture. They disappear. There are other people who hold to the view that they go up as a greeting and welcoming party for the arrival of King Jesus. And this is not without uh, um, a prototype. Is that the right word? Without a type? Because it would be the case in, in, in the time when Revelation was written, or certainly in the time when, when 1 Thessalonians was written, Thessalonians, right, um, was written that when a victorious king comes back into the city, a throng will go out of the city to meet him and then go back into the city with him. So people who do not believe in the rapture hold to that view. I thought it's important, if you do believe in rapture, that you hear the views of, of people who don't. So how? Before we get into that, by the way, I just want to debunk something, something that we can universally debunk. You know, just now I talked to you about God's cry of command and and the voice of the angel, the archangel, and the blaring of the trumpet of God. Now, I want to debunk one thing about end times. If you grew up in Christian circles in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, you're probably familiar with the Left Behind series. And the Left Behind series uh, teaches or shows that shows a secret rapture. Is this idea that people will just magically kind of like 
disappear, right? Like a mother will be hugging her son and then, you know, and she's hugging his t-shirt, you know, because the son just disappeared, right? Now, that is not biblical, okay? Uh, so, I checked in with Pastor Chu and Pastor Chu says, Fergus, go ahead crush this idea of a secret rapture. Friends, secret rapture is not biblical and I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus comes back, there will be a loud, loud celebration. It's right there in Second in First Thessalonians 4. So with that out of the way, my friends, how? If people got different views on this, how? Right? Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Fergus, what about you? What do you hold? Or maybe you're saying, what does what's SIBKL stand? Ah, if you've been around SIBKL long enough, you probably know that our response to you is what? SIBKL has no stand. What is your stand? How are you thinking about it? Because I can tell you, my friends, maybe other churches have stands. We are not the kind of church that has a stand. Why? Because we really believe that when you stand before the throne of God in the last days, the stand of your local church is not going to fly when God asks you to give an account for what you believe. It won't fly, huh? by the way. He's going to ask you, what do you believe? It's a little bit like when the demons said to, to, to the sons of Sceva, like, like, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you, right? right? It's the same thing. I know Pastor Chu stand. I know Pastor Lee Chu stand. What is your stand? So I, 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 I don't know. I asked SIBKL for a stand and they were wishy-washy about it with me, so I don't have a stand. I don't know. It's their fault. No, it's not. Every one of us will be held accountable for our searching of scriptures. Do I have a stand? Yes. Am I going to share it with you today? Now, if I have, I've got like three minutes left on my clock. And if I have three minutes, I'd rather do something else with you. I'd rather show you how we can navigate in grace, in love, and in charity with all our other Christian friends and brothers and sisters out in this world who don't hold the same views as us. My friends, first thing we have to know, rapture is a secondary doctrine. Okay, and what I mean is it's a secondary issue. Whoa, really? Yes, really. So what is the primary issue? Primary issue is salvation by faith through grace, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's a primary issue and we should be united in that. Primary issue is Jesus, virgin birth, his ministry as articulated in the Gospels, his death on a cross, his resurrection after three days. That's primary doctrine. Primary doctrine is the reality of God the Father, the God who created all of the universe out of nothing, the Holy Spirit who comes to minister to us. That's primary doctrine. We have to be united in the primary things. Have you heard this saying before? In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. My friends, today is a day for in all things, charity. And in the non-essentials, liberty. Please don't fight over rapture.
Please don't fight over eschatology and end times things. There are better things, enemies out there. Don't fight among Christians about these things. That's very, very important. You know our church, it just hit me yesterday, you know, that I don't think you can even find among palm reading fortune tellers in a pagan tradition who are fighting with one another because they are so sure, so sure about the fact that they know the future better than some other person. But we fight like that in church. Don't lie. Okay, church. Okay, church. Don't a bit of humility about things of the future. We don't know everything. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay for some of these things to be a mystery of God. It's okay, one. It's okay, one. Just hang on to your primary doctrines. Hang on to Jesus Christ. Hang on to what you uh, you see is absolutely clear. Will the dead rise with, with renewed bodies? Yes, you can hang on to that. Will we be caught up together and live forever with Jesus? Yes, we can all hang on to that. Why? Because it's plain in the Bible. Everything else that is a little bit foggy and you're not too sure, it's okay. It's okay. Please don't fight. You want to hold a clear view? Go ahead. But don't fight. But my friends, if you want to hold a clear view, make sure you don't just alang-alang just pluck it from nowhere and say, this is it. And you end up with a second-hand faith because you truly somebody else's thinking. Don't, right? So how should we navigate these issues? Second point is show your workings. You must be able to work through the scriptures. So you know what? If you have searched the Bible and your conclusion is, I believe in pre-trip rapture followed by a thousand years, right? If that is you, it's okay. It's okay. Just make sure you have your workings. I read this. This is Matthew 24. And I hold this view. And I hold this view about 1 Thessalonians 4. And this jives with Revelation 20. And and I know then, as a pastor, as all your pastors, we want to say, our view is important, but it's not that important compared to you going through the hard, diligent work of searching your scriptures and having your workings. Okay, so friends, you must do that. It's like math. You can It's like math exam, right? You can have the answer at the bottom and it's the right answer. You still don't get full marks. Why? Because you don't get full marks if you don't show how you derived it. And as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we must wrestle with the text, okay? And if you wrestle, finish ready, and you're still not sure, and you say, you know what? I've done the work. I'm still not clear. I know quite a lot, but I don't know which to pick. Okay, okay, and maybe you say, Pastor Chu is a man I trust, and 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 okay, so pre wrath rapture, okay, okay, but the most important thing is you have been diligent with the text, okay? As Abigail, we are diligent with the text. We're not going to fight with other Christians over end times and all these things. Can write, can write unity. Unity in the essentials. Unity in the most important things. Why? Because the days are tough and there's so much more important things for us to do. So my friends, I'm finished with this preaching, but I just want to share with you this one thing. If some of you are grieving, 
If some of you are struggling because you know someone who's on the knife edge between life and death. If some of you have been grieving someone who passed away and you want someone to pray for you or you're praying, interceding for someone who's, who's struggling with life or struggling before death, I want you to just to just join the online prayer or altar call and have someone pray for you. And you know what? When a fellow Christian brother or sister comes and wraps their arms around you and prays with you and cries with you and weeps with you and lends you strength and lends you courage, it doesn't matter whether they are pre-trip, post-trip, a millennial or millennial, it doesn't matter. You know what? Because they love you, your prayer together, you can be united in an amen together can church so friends if you need prayer can you jump into the online altar call right now and with somebody there who will minister with you through these dark days and through these trying times and for the rest of us let us now worship with this song come church let us worship together church let us pray father we thank you lord that in Jesus Christ we have life and life abundant. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ we have a hope. We have a hope that can carry us, though we who remain alive have a hope. We have a hope to be able to go with you wherever you are going. And we know that the ones whom we've released to be with you are experiencing a better joy with you than they ever experienced here in this mortal coil. So, Father, Teach us, shape us, embolden us, strengthen us, encourage us, and help us look into the future with a thriving expectation of your return. Whether it comes in our lifetime or not, okay, it's okay. If I see it, great. If I see it, if I don't see it, still okay. But Lord, I know with you, I will be united in always, in forever, in eternity, in forever love, joy, and satisfaction in Christ. And all of God's people shout aloud. Amen.